gathered here today to mourn the loss of an amazing game console today we are mourning the loss and announcement of the stadia don't date the episode (laughs) what what were your fondest memories of the stadia uh last the packs before last there was a huge stadia booth and they gave me a free hat for filling out a questionnaire Theomini or Casative, but I believe you go by Theomini primarily. Uh, what was your favorite memory of the stadium? When they gave Jane Redmond a studio and then Jane Redmond seeded that into a real publisher. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Alright, I didn't have one. Um, I'm, I'm glad it's we'll, gone. Let's, we'll always have Amazon that. Luna. Yeah, we'll always have Luna. Always being a, a very tricky word nowadays, don't we? <laughs> Do you think the Stadia controller is going to, like, skyrocket in price now? No. As a collectible? Wait, is it special? No. Like, was there something good about it? I don't think so, but it's. I think it only works with the Stadia. No, I don't think so. Because I think I've already seen them offering... I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> Brogan, I've bought 50 Stadia controllers. I need to know if this is a good investment. <laughs> Well, you know they are re- they are refunding everybody for it. So if you can get it off the Google Play Store, they'll refund it to you. It'll be free. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Let's get off this. Theomini. Hi. Tell us about yourself. I am a ne'er do well on these here internets. I do over analysis of from software games, primarily the new ones, but also the old ones, and then I write about them concise yeah i mean you you fucking nailed it (laughs) um but like we're a general video game podcast so can you tell us other aspects before we go into your content creation what other games do you find other than from software i interesting i actually play a lot of like random games like i really liked prey um as far as recent games i play a lot of prey i've played a lot of first person shooters which people might not know about me warframe I played Dust 514 uh, for a while, and uh, some other like cooperative shooter, competitive shooter kind of things. Um, I guess that goes back to like how I started with video games. How did you start with video games? <sighs> so, 1989. The Stadia. The st- yeah, the Stadia. Everybody started <laughs> with the Stadia. No, I started in 1989 with a uh, NES, and. Um, at one point, I think I had like 80 games for the NES in pre-Clinton money, so that was a, a lot. Um, <laughs> BC, before Clinton. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, before Clinton. Like, I, I have some VCR, like VHS tape of me playing Gyrus a lot. Um, oh, so there was a Let's Play before the Let's Play. Yeah, no, it was like my dad was like walking around with his... Uh, camcorder just like camcordering things and i was just playing gyrus. dads do that yeah dads, dads do that dads do that so there's there's video of me playing gyrus at like you know six years old and um then i got a sega genesis and i played a lot of mortal Kombat, to the 
Right. To the point where I played a lot of Mortal Kombat at Blockbuster for like er esports because Blockbuster attempted esports back in like the early nineties. Oh, before like before before esports though. This yeah. was the er esport. <laughs> It, it was like the wizard movie where it's like a bunch of like 11 year olds being. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like a, what's going on here? Yeah, I was like 11. It was like, it was, I was super young. I just went to the blockbuster one day, um, fought some people at the blockbuster, went home, didn't think about it again until esports became a thing. This episode was almost a Mortal Kombat episode. It was literally this close to being a Mortal Kombat episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Before yeah. I vetoed it because I was like, this cannot be, this cannot be the first fighting game episode. Mortal Kombat is 30 who's years your, old. Who's your Mortal Kombat main? I had a few mains. I was a kid, so like, mm-hmm. I did a lot of Katana, who actually had a fairly complicated fatality. Melina, if I was lazy, because she had a three-second hold button fatality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was some funny. There were some funny ones I would use just because the, like their ending stuff was like just funny. Like there was a Raiden one where there was a a secret code in a very specific location where he would spawn a mini Raiden, and that was pretty mm. funny to me. <laughs> Baby Raiden. They yeah. brought that back for MK11, didn't they? Oh, I think so. Uh, I think Kid did. Lightning is his name. Yeah. <laughs> That's so stupid. Yeah. There was some there were some really funny like hidden things that I would mess around with in it and it was like one of the only t- one of the only times I bought some some magazines cuz they had like um codes in there and and then I laughed at Way of the Warrior and then then think about it until Naughty Dog decided to grow up and <laughs> become the HBO of video games they got big yeah then they got say. big but yeah that that's pretty much how I started like I had long breaks where I just didn't play video games for a while because, like, after the Sega Genesis, it all got really expensive. Like, I wanted a Saturn, but that didn't happen because yeah. it was expensive. The Dreamcast was already kind of, at that point, shrug. And my aunt gave me my PlayStation um, with Final Fantasy VIII because she wanted me to play Final Fantasy VIII. Like, that was the entire reason why I got a PlayStation. My aunt wanted me to play Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, just to get your thoughts on it, or...? No, she just like, wanted, like, she never asked me about my thoughts on it. She just wanted me to play it. She's like, here you huh. go, a PlayStation and Final Fantasy VIII. And, and then... We get, we now get Brendan on for those. That, that's been my secret thing. Or <laughs> Yup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yup is gonna, they're gonna come in for, you know, an infamous JRPG that only takes 20 hours. Vagrant story. Secret, secret announcement. I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that, but... Oh, that's, no. that's that's not on oh, the wow. the episode list broken that we did we confirm that <laughs> <laughs> we confirmed it now yep's gonna deal with it okay i'm pretty sure he said yes Call I think we're fine. Anyways, let's transition now okay so in regards to content creation what i like about your analysis of uh from soft storytelling is um to me at least, and I think you would agree with this, your approach to analysis is usually backed by uh, good research into the historical backgrounds for the story decisions, like say uh, an experience in alchemy or in this recent video, uh, astro astrophysics, astrology, all that stuff. And then you also have the uh, From Software back catalog and uh, retro uh, sort of, um, you're able to use the same story techniques from before to inform their modern uh, stylings. Would you agree with this? I think that was uh, that was the goal originally for going into the back catalog. 
I actually started with Bloodborne and I was doing content creation for Bloodborne and because I was if I backed up a little bit more I was writing long comments for Aegon and Aegon's like hey why don't you just like write write these as long essays or something and then I found Medium and that's where I started with Dark Souls um three um but after a while I was like you know because I, I don't subscribe to Altier Theory, especially when it comes to From Software, which it seems a lot of people do. And I agree. Um, so I wanted to see where From Software came from. And I didn't expect there to be a very specific house style to them. I'd expect that they would dabble in this, dabble in that, dabble in this. And while they do do that, there's a very consistent narrative structure and story that they like to tell. And they like to lean on, which was actually really surprising and uh, really informed me on what their decisions are for their modern games. Apart from Miyazaki, 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 insert memes yeah. here. I knew that From Software didn't just jump out of Miyazaki's head uh, fully formed like Palace Athena. I knew that, that From Software had a story behind it and that experience informs their present along with Miyazaki. So that's why originally I started playing the old games and knowing that for some reason or another that people won't play them because of like, let's say their archaic control schemes, because it took them until 2003 to realize that analog sticks exist, that some people will just never play their games. So I started recording them as LPs, but primarily the LPs are kind of research into how from software likes telling stories and how they approach things and that allows me to inform how i go about my content creation especially with modern from software games um i was particularly impressed by um this one because this one largely um this this new video was called firmament comma space unyielding i didn't know how to demonstrate the pause there yeah. um which to me was like largely about uh how fate is tied to the cosmic realities of the stars and the horrors of the va vastness of space within. There you go. I had to write this stuff down. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> uh, th this one was particularly impressive in how much it was informed by exterior stuff rather than the back catalog. There's mentions of the back catalog, particularly like Echo Knight and stuff. But um, you definitely did so your fucking homework yeah, on this shit. There was, there was a lot... There was a lot to read, um, especially with Elden Ring being so multi-layered and multi-faceted into what their it's what its lore is trying to say. So unlike in the the other modern from software games like Dark Souls or even Bloodborne, where there might be like one or two um, meanings that they're going for for a certain image or illusion or hint this one seems to be going well it is this and it is also this and it is also this and we're also keying off of this um yeah so it's crazy it's crazy how ambitious this title is even from a storytelling perspective like it was it's it's hard to describe like when you first in like when i first played it as a person that enjoys story and lore it you know you go to what is familiar and then you realize how many times that they try to emphasize so many other aspects of the thing that it gets overwhelming. I was overwhelmed when I played this game, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. It's a large game, like a large game. And I know I'm, I'm still like booting up new, new builds, even in private and finding things I didn't find in my original playthrough. My original playthrough is like 115 hours or so. And I know I pretty much only scratched the surface gameplay wise, but like, you see 
and I think Dia Lacana, Lacuna, Lacana, Lacana, Dia, she she mentioned it pretty succinctly in that it is kind of an apotheosis of everything they've they've been doing, the cosmic the cosmic horror that has been with From Software since maybe even its beginnings. Um, which is pretty funny because a friend of mine had just finished throwing his emulators on his Steam Deck and which we'll get to later. And oh, he for another time. Continue. He booted up Kingsfield 2J, which is Kingsfield 1 in the US. And in uh, the very first games, we have the quote cosmic screen for From Software because the uh, the black and white title screen for From Software is actually their second one, and they had a cosmic one in the very first games. All of these things kind of coalesce in one big video game, but it's it allows them to go even deeper in their associations. And like, I found myself going into astrophysics, um, St. Thomas Aquinas the- Summa Theologica, um, the Arecibo radio telescope, like all, all of these things ended up having, getting connections and uh, drawing connections and then researching those those connections to make sure I wasn't like uh, matrixing. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, matrixing, crazy, choose one it's probably both and just going through there and making illusions and and reading the the lore that is in the game and note i don't really unlike some people i don't really engage with cut content um i don't know what you guys think about cut content but like it was cut for a reason so i don't tend to absolutely look at cut content as something that we should take into account with regards to storytelling because it was cut it's not part of the storytelling it was like a first draft that was removed and shouldn't is a cool thing to look at, but not something to take very seriously. Um, especially like, I don't know how much of this is going to stay in, but like, especially um, for instance, Elden Ring keeps updating, right? Or it kept updating for a long time, adding more onto quests and stuff. So it's very clear if they wanted it in and there was an issue with time, they would still put it in. Yeah. Like, like, then it becomes very clear that some things were like they they don't want in. Maybe they're saving it for DLC or something. But until then, at, you know, it, it's interesting to see in a purely developmental standpoint. But I don't think it should inform large readings of the text. No. Right. It, it'd be like looking at like earlier versions of fucking the Highwayman and then going, oh yeah, this is clearly what uh this informs my opinion of Atticus Finch's character in To Kill a Mockingbird it doesn't it doesn't pan out the same way yeah you know like exactly that and that's kind of how I I see it I know some um people over on LoreTube do look at and engage with cut content I don't really it's not it's not in my purview I go with the gold master the current version and I stick with that but like this, this last essay especially took maybe two months of research and writing. And it was always in my thoughts to do because of what I saw in the game, how much relied on the cosmos. Um, and not in an, not as active maliciously in a way or overtly actively malicious like in Bloodborne, um, but more passively, more like Shadow Tower. But I know people have heard me speak about Shadow Tower a lot, so... I wanted to draw the audience's connection to Bloodborne um, at that point. But yeah, it's just, there was just so much that informs so much of what's going on. And I'm up to what, three, three lore videos for Elden Ring now? It's just, I, I don't think I've gotten scratched nearly as deep as I can go, but um, I think this is... I, I try to make things in this, like, because one thing I was doing, like, 
it just takes for fucking forever. It, you, at a certain point in time, you got to know when to stop or you got to know when to stop for the specific video. Yeah. And I just I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Anyways, we we can move on to things. Murph, she mentioned earlier that someone got a Steam Deck. It wasn't you, but you did get a Steam Deck. Tell me about your Steam Deck. I got a new toy. I got my Steam Deck. Um, so I thought I would give general impressions on that because I know it's kind of the hot new tech this year. Number one, it's much lighter than I thought it would be. Like this thing, it's a big old console. It's not really something I would ever pull out on like a a bus or anything. How does it compare to the Switch in weight? Um, I think it sometimes it feels lighter than the Switch, which is odd. Like I'm 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 benching both right here. I'm doing curls. <laughs> And it's like the I, fucking SpongeBob with the squeaky toys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're really lifting weights, bud. It's fairly comparable. One thing I do want to call out: um, I got the the middle uh, model with the 256 gigabyte uh, internal storage. Um, the one above that with the larger storage also says it comes with like a carrying case and things. But the model I got came with a carrying case, and it's a very nice carrying case. It's just the the one with the larger storage comes with a larger case that you can store like power cables and stuff in is it as big as a game gear i (laughs) I, it's been a while since i've seen a game gear i think i i think i've seen them side by side and i think it is comparable uh the design is very nice like the uh, shoulders sort of curve inwards and they rest very nice in the palm it's very very nice to hold it does get hot it gets very hot depending on the game you're playing um, and if you're touching anywhere other than where you're meant to be holding it, you can feel the heat coming off of the console. Uh, it's got a top vent, and sometimes I'll, like, tilt it forward and feel the heat blast in my face. It's a very nice <laughs> console for staying warm in the winter, I assume. <laughs> uh, it probably uh, yields as much power as a fucking... Uh, Game Gears took, like, six AA batteries and lasted three hours. How is the... how? How's the Steam Deck on power? So power-wise, I think that's its biggest failing. That's the thing I've seen most reviews call attention to. This thing, like, on the base, out-of-the-box settings, this thing maybe has, like, three hours of power. Um, so it's just like a Game you Gear. Know, depending. <laughs> yeah, just like a Game Gear. Game Gear 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, depending on what you um, what game you're playing. Like, I, I never got this to play, like, Elden Ring on the go. It, it's supposed to be primarily my Stardew Valley machine, plus other indies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things I would want to play lying down in bed. But it's got it's got a real nice UI. It's um I was expecting that Steam big picture mode they have for like desktop. No, no, this is a different UI and it's a very slick, very ma- navigatable UI. You can access like all your Steam collections and things. Um, there's a desktop mode, a browser, yada yada. Uh, as far as games I've tried on it, um, I've run some indie games. Those all run fine. Uh, Civ 6 runs like a dream. Uh, the controls are highly customizable. You've got so many different like things you can press on this machine from like the track pads. It's got four paddles on the back uh, and you can program those all to varying degrees like to an extent of like when I hold down B and Y together, that is a input. If you want to like go real in on like something that doesn't usually have a controller, like an RTS or something, um, so that's all pretty handy. I tried, like, it. They break down the games into different categories of 
like verified playable on Steam Deck and then just like playable but not really optimized, then Steam hasn't checked the game at all and then like certified not playable. And I tried something <laughs> that's like hasn't been tested. I tried Age of Mythology, which is an RTS. I'm very familiar with it. Um and it ran it uh, it runs like you know how you can get Doom to run on your smart fridge. Um, gotcha. because at its core, it is just like a handheld PC, but using the trackpad for mouse and then the shoulder buttons for left and right click, I was able to do a match against AI on easy pretty handily. Like I was surprised at how quick I got used to the control scheme. It's nothing I would really like pull out and kill time with, but it, I am curious to see like a verified RTS on this machine. How, how much is a Steam Deck now? It varies. This model's like you know, five hundred dollars. Uh, <laughs> that sounds worth it to me, though, because like the Steam Deck is really impressive to me still. Like even with everything you just said, I'm pretty impressed by it. Like I did test some like higher end games. I installed um the best seven out of ten game, Days Gone, and uh, <laughs> okay. tooled around with that, and that runs pretty damn i got a clean 60 fps the game looks good like even going up i i want i picked that because the the zombie hordes i wanted to test like its processing uh no i went up against a horde it kept a clean 60 fps uh it's pretty impressive and um because it's a steam system you can actually just stream from your desktop if you're in like the same house to the steam deck so it the computer takes all the processing power so i uninstalled day, Days Gone off the Steam Deck and just streamed it from my PC to the handheld. Is this the start of a new, like, market? Because I know Razer's got a very similar handheld console coming out. I uh. think, um, definitely since the Steam Deck was revealed, I'm seeing a lot of, like, knockoff third-party versions. Um, like, I know there's a lot with, like, Ryzen processors and things. Um, I follow the channel ETA Prime on YouTube, and he just it pretty much exclusively covers, like, different forms of emulation machine. Hmm. And it seems every week he's doing, like, some new variation on a Steam Deck. Um, one thing I did test was, uh, since this is effectively a PC, that means you should be able to get uh, Sony PlayStation Now and its streaming services, streaming from the PS4 to your computer. So this is like three steps removed for the sake of playing Bloodborne. Yes, I, I played handheld Bloodborne. I played Bloodborne <laughs> in bed, co cozied up. Um, and, you know, it plays. It does play. The issue is, is that you have that, like, issue of you're streaming it. Um, yeah, input lag. Yeah, so there is... I didn't really notice input lag. What I did notice was stuttering. Like, every... 10 minutes or so it would stutter pretty noticeably mm. um but i was able to go through central yarnum just fine i'll bite with a new game plus character so you know i was killing everything in one hit but and i went up to gascoigne and beat him um you know it works and i wouldn't really continue playing it this way but if i were to start a new playthrough of bloodborne i could see instances where i'm like i don't really want to be playing on the tv right now i'm gonna go lie down or go in a different room and I could just eat very easily pick up my Steam Deck start the uh the streaming program and continue from there kind of like a kind of like a switch I, I think that's the most impressive part is the fact that this is basically a mini computer that is powerful and meaty still yeah so like dang uh as as Gascoigne would famously say in Bloodborne that's a spicy meatball yeah <laughs> very spicy oh the meatball it sings to me 
Okay. I haven't tried any emulation on it yet, but I do know there's a third-party program called uh, Steam EMU that was made, like, specifically for the Steam Deck. Um, and also RetroArch is just on Steam now. Um, so I'm going to test that at some point, but theoretically this should play up to, like, PS2 era just fine. Like, I, yeah. I've seen gameplay of Dolphin Emulator. It runs very cleanly. You should you should do just fine with with pretty much, maybe even RPSS3. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like, I've had lower-end laptops before be able to run PS2 games pretty okay. A anyways! <laughs> And final thoughts, Murph, or are you good? Um, it gets around. I mean, if you're willing to wait the time, like I, I bought this in March, and it didn't get until September, but they're stepping up production. Um, I think if you're in the market for something that's like, like this, um, price wise, I don't really know. You know, I don't really want to say like a hard yes, it's worth the five hundred dollars, but for me who doesn't really make a lot of big purchases every year. Uh, this is this was definitely worth the investment for me. Plus, if you get it on the right credit card, you can get extended warranty, which is nice. Oh, hey. yeah, that's the, the, I guess the dream. <laughs> but I, I I mainly got it to play small indie games on. So Brogan, do you have a small indie game to tell me about? You you tried so hard to segue. I love I love. That's why I love you, Murph. That's why I love you. Uh, I played the Outbound Ghost, which is um. I don't have any notes on it in terms of like who developed it or whatever, but it recently released this month. Uh, I it's a, and it's like a it's basically a Paper Mario independent uh, similar game. So like it's got the paper uh, style for the models, but um, there is uh, 3D backgrounds and environments, um, and then the battle system is almost entirely based on. Uh, your original Paper Mario systems of like re um, reaction timing for the attacks and you know party members etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and this reminds me of I, I played this way back in the day uh, for the Daydreamcast uh, Bug Fables I mentioned that mm -hmm. one and that is also a Paper Mario alike and I don't think either of them hit what I'm looking for out of a Paper Mario but I get the feeling a lot of people would love it um I didn't, I didn't like beat this game and I didn't beat bug fables either. Um, but I think I like bug fables more. I think my issue is, especially with the outbound ghost is there's a heavy emphasis on the combat encounters. It, they, they are very impressive in terms of, um, number one, customizability. So like, even when you start the game, you have many options for difficulty. There's many different bars or different options for you to customize the thing for your liking. Like you could even turn off battles completely for the sake of enjoying the story, which I probably won't comment on um, because I didn't finish it, but you can, you can do that stuff for the battles. And then for the actual battle systems, um, it's like the badge thing expanded into a completely different, fully formed concept. Um, and so that stuff's really, really cool. I think what gets to me about it is, number one, that focus on combat. Um, and number two, I'm, I guess I'm trying to find the way to articulate it. You reset health after every battle, no matter what anyways. Okay. So with that... With that, it becomes very clear that the battles themselves are very specifically tailored and curated for the experience. Yeah. Um, and so it, it promotes way, riskier strategies? 
yes and stuff like that and i i can appreciate that but um i i guess with the amount of customizability i found it hard to appreciate the design in some ways i think the only way to truly appreciate the design of the battle system is to be in love with the battle system and that's not actually why i play a paper mario i play a paper mario for sort of the totality experience mm. my favorite paper mario is paper mario 64 by the way um yeah and I, you know, the charm of it and all of that. And I think Bug Fables captures it more. A good example here is Bug Fables also allows you to customize difficulty and all this stuff, but it doesn't do it through bars in a menu. It does it through a singular charm that just increases the risk reward. That That's really it. Um, so that way the design is still tailored, but then it also the health carries over and all that stuff. So you're still playing a more fundamental uh, experience there. Um, is the story is the story like charming at all? I mean, it looks like it's about like a cute little ghost. However, the Steam description says battle using figments of your personality. Okay, so basically, I, I was gonna get to the party member aspect, which I can feel more confident commenting on. But but um, you play as a, a ghost with amnesia going around a village of all ghosts. Everybody has died, and they're ghosts who have yet to pass on. So, like, basically the quests of the game are help are you helping ghosts pass on into okay. the next life or whatever. And the twist is you're the cat. <laughs> um I, I think what got to me a little bit, and maybe this is a minor complaint, and but I also felt it with bug fables. I don't know, maybe this is just a me thing, but I find that bugs and the cloud ghosts are a little too, I don't want to say the word generic, but they go into a zone where it's like, it's as if you played Super Mario RPG and every character was Mallow. Yeah. Like, that's not necessarily like... I do see you that know. looking at these screenshots is that the main character doesn't look, it, it's just a blob. Uh, the, the enemy designs have more variety to them, but in, in that sense, yeah, it goes into generic stuff. But then when you go into the party members in actual combat, you don't fight with your ghost. You fight with, as you said, feelings. So then you develop feelings and it's never really communicated how you get those feelings other than story progression most of the time. So so you're just kind of going, going, and then you get a new one, and you're like, okay, that's cool, I got a new uh, one. And then, yeah, it functions like Pokemon in that Okay, sense. so the party members don't have character. They're just no. a thing you unlock. Yes. Oh, that's just, okay, that's what I want from a Paper Mario. Bug Fables does it more where they're, the actual party members are able to do things and interact with each other. I think Bug Fables is a much more fundamental Paper Mario experience. I was still like felt like it was lacking but if if you said that i would recommend bug fables to you mm. um like another good example is like at least from what i played the attacks from every single party member during combat have the same reaction um bar like you do the same thing versus uh. in like another paper mario rpg or any others each character would have a fundamentally different attack uh control for you to use for timing so there yeah. would be a different timing mini game for every character Okay, yeah, that does sound disappointing. So it just leads to every battle feeling the same, huh? A, a little bit. I mean, I think the changes and the thing to appreciate is the complexity of the battle themselves. And then, like, as I said, it, each battle does feel curated in terms of the mob and engagements. So, like, you'll appreciate how difficult a battle can be sometimes. But that being said, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It just missed the mark for me. Okay, okay. Well, we've got a uh, a game with a question mark next to it, so I don't actually know if we're moving on to this. Uh, well, 
Diamini, did you want to talk about Duracine? How do you even pronounce it? Uh, it's Duracine. Um, speak, it's okay. French. Speaking of games that uh, are about ghosts, I played a game about fairies who are kind of like ghosts. Um, yes. So Duracine, Duracine is kind of like a strange game in the modern from software verve in that it's almost completely ignored. It's for PSVR and um, requires the full PSVR setup, including the two lollipops, which oh. are deeply annoying. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't heard anyone talk about those. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the lollipops are deeply annoying in that they like, if you look at them wrong, they run out of battery and you have to go f- figure out a way to charge them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so Dorosne is a From Software VR game in Unreal 5 which immediately shuts down a lot of people's yelling and screaming about how they're still on the old engines because they do have experience in Unreal. They just choose not to. Um, And it is a game about grief. And it is a game where you play a person, and I'm trying not to spoil it in case you decide to play it yourself one day, who finds family and then realizes that their very existence around that family is harmful and breaks a cycle which is essentially self-obviating um but you are also a child in a world basically populated by a bunch of children who are in their in their good-hearted nature each one of them has a very well-designed personality and they're all warm-hearted children in this um, Victorian sort of esque, people people wanted it to be a bloodborne sidequel. It's not mm-hmm. um, because they are so good natured, because they are all so warm hearted. It makes the horror and the the growing realization that what you, because it's VR, it's extremely immersive what you were exulting in what you were able to do at the very beginning is the means of their destruction. And um, it is one of the games that has made me cry. Just out, just not, I'm not even in front about it. There is a very particular scene where, unlike the, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie um, La Jete, which was remade into yes. 12, yes. It I is, have a film degree. Oh, I there you there go. You we're go. bringing it up. We're bringing nice. it up. It is. It is. The game itself is like La Jete. Everything is very okay. still, um, and the VR movement in Durasne is teleportation. So you can, if if you don't get, um, and since it's not movement simulation, it doesn't make uh, movement sickness happen that often uh, because it's all teleportation. But because it is, everything is still. Except for when you're you're solving puzzles, it is very much a bit like La Chate in that way. Except for one very horrifying, like it's not horrifying in that it's like scary. It's not horrifying in that there's gore. It is horrifying in that these people that you have realize have become people you you really like. They're they're these they're good kids, and you want to see them happy. And at this one moment, you see the evil that sneaks, that has snuck in around the edges. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And uh, it is one of those games that has made me cry in that way. And, I, and I've and i come back to it um, 
finally, actually, after two years, because um, I got my PS5 last summer, and, like, I haven't... I set it up, but, like, didn't have the means to, like, charge my stupid lollipops. <laughs> I didn't get to play it until... Sure. until charge my lollipops. Charge the lollipops. Like, okay, if... The PS5 only has one USB, USB-A port and one USB-C port in the front. Both the lollipops, and there are two of them, frustratingly, are both USB-A. And um, out of the box, the PS5 will only set out power for three hours. You need way longer than that to charge one of the lollipops. Oh. So <laughs> I see. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a lollipop bottleneck. Yeah, there's a lollipop bottleneck. <laughs> It's because you need them, you need them, because the lollipops become your hands in the game. They are literally hands in the game. And um, like a lot of From Software storytelling, they really go ham on the uh, ludonarrative dissidents um, because they really leverage the immersion that they were able to achieve with that to basically draw you in as a character, a very specific one. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great story. It's heartbreaking and it is um, heartwarming in kind of equal measure. And mm-hmm. uh, the terror of it kind of sneaks in like a, like a thief. And um, I think it's actually maybe the most horrifying of the modern From Software games only because you attach yourself to these kids very quickly. There's a personal level yeah, there's a, versus the distance. Exactly. There's a very yeah. personal level where you are attached to these kids. And there's a um, there's a hidden kind of Easter eggy kind of thing, like a challenge to find all these coins. And when you drop in all of these coins in the special piggy bank, it opens up. And what opens up is a small ring for your pinky. And then you realize that this ring is on every one of the children's hand because the ring is symbolic of their familial bond. And you get one and you are able to put it on your own finger. Like it really goes ham on that like yeah. that kind of It wants of you to build a, a family unit and then it uses that to tear it down. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's actually the most horrifying of the From Software games. And I'm really mad that it got summarily ignored and or like the gaming press from the time was like, I don't understand. It's kind of janky. I, I sit on the floor. Listen, I sit on the floor. I actually don't stand when I'm playing VR. I sit on the floor. I've never had these, the problem that these people <laughs> have listed playing Durasane. Um, I think it needs a, a fairer shake than what it got. Well, I mean, it's all, it's also so tough because like the way you describe it in the content, like I think every aspect of the game sounds awesome in that sense, and especially in terms of appreciation, but it also feels almost like it was, it was doomed from the start. Yeah. Especially in terms of audience expectation and even technical capability and the facts that they're not even going to bring it to PSVR 2. So, like, there's yeah. those aspects. And then those aspects of, like, oh, people want a Bloodborne. And people want people, violence. People really people thought it was a Bloodborne sidequel. From... Like, they really yeah, thought but... it was a Bloodborne sidequel for a long yeah. time. P- people... People want specific things out of from that's one thing I've learned about like audience expectations for specific developers is they want these specific things. And 
I think departures are very interesting and very important for developers. Like, Deracine is probably, like, Elden Ring is very derivative of what's come before. Right. And hopefully, and the way you describe it, Deracine, at the very least, it, it may go, it may reach back to things like Echo Knight or something yep. from the FromSoft catalog. Yep. But, like, but that being said, it is still an evolution and a divergence from what it currently is now. And people may not be receptive to it. Yeah, anymore. they would just, or, you know it, what I mean? It just didn't feel like people were receptive to it. The fact. Here's a story that is probably emblematic of what I'm trying to say. When it was announced, it was announced pretty much at the same time as Sekiro. Um, and these E3s were, I think, virtual at the time or something. It was on it was on video. Um, and like Sekiro got the the spotlight. And then Sony had like cut off from the main the main video or something, and like Easy Allies was still running like their minor sizzle reel on the side and all of a sudden there was a from software logo and easy alice was like wait what and like they they threw it up on the screen it was derasne like it felt like an afterthought with u.s marketing the u.s physical edition which was gamestop only was kind of an afterthought like that that sounds like a lot of vr content though yeah that legit sounds like so much vr content I don't know how it is like overseas or whatever, but I get the feeling even now people don't know how to market VR yeah. as a hard as hardware. And given given that From Software is a self publisher in Japan, they were able to put together a very nice package with mm -hmm. the um, OST and some other things in a limited edition package. But like that, none of that happened in America because they're not they're not publishers in America yet. They're trying to be. Do you think that this needs to be? Uh, played in VR for like to be the most effective like do you see it eventually like escaping VR and maybe finding a market on like PC I'd love it to but I also know that it does need to be on VR like if okay. somebody if somebody can move it to Vive or uh, what's the other one Valve Index Oculus I have no idea anymore like <laughs> that's that's one of the other bigger problems is like the content for VR isn't unified onto us on one broad platform like I, they're all fragmented I hear so all then the you PC to, ones are kind yeah. of unified but like the the console ones are definitely not because yeah. PSVR is like Sony saw a few peripherals nobody was buying see also the iToy and like hacked a solution oh, together <laughs> iToy is a future day dreamcast episode I, I still have my iToy i still have oh yeah uh, i got it in a box i don't know if that's more i don't know if it was more or less egregious than microsoft using the xbox install base to beta test what is now azure connect is it because i'm liking everything you're saying about this story i'm like tempted to look up a like a long play or something do you think that would be worthwhile or is it something that really is best experienced firsthand i do think it is best experienced firsthand i cannot stress enough that i cannot i don't know how much um experience you've had with vr but i cannot stress enough that i have no words to describe how immersive vr actually is um mm -hmm. even even the psvr with its limitations and people complaining of screen dooring, you forget about that. Give it three minutes, you forget all about it. Um, and see, looking down and seeing hands and your brain tricking itself into thinking, oh yeah, these are my hands. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I'm in this, this classroom. Oh yeah, these are my best friends. That feeling is 
I think only available with a headset on your head. A long play is useful, especially if you know you're never going to get a PSVR, because I hear the PSVR setups are difficult, if not impossible to find. Yeah, and, that was my, primarily my thought. And considering how From Software seems to leave all of their releases in the dust, um, mm-hmm. no matter what, I don't know if they're going to spend the time in porting this game to PSVR 2, especially since the Bloodborne Shadow producers also worked on Durasane, and he's now at Team Ninja. And I don't know if XDev is up for that challenge. It, it, you know, it's tough because, like, also the way we say it, and th- this is going to tie into the game of the week later on, I think there's also some experiences. I'm not a person that loves watching uh, Let's Plays. Um, I, I, I think there is something communicated through play and mechanics, yeah. even outside of VR, and I'm sure VR takes it 10 levels above. Like, I, for me, Eco shouldn't be watched. Eco should be played. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. like I play, I do LPs primarily for research for me, but also because I know there are a lot of people who will not be able to spend the time, spend the money, or risk their, risk viruses um, to get these old games and play them themselves. So... If they're never going to be able to play these games, I want them to be able to experience them somehow. But playing them is always better than watching. Preferable. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So Murph, mm-hmm. are you going under? Yeah. You know, I was I was trying to think of a Sieg, uh, like, uh, you know, it seems it seems like it would be poor business. Did you say? Did you pronounce Segway as Sieg? Uh. Yes, but I don't normally, if you're going to hold that against me. <laughs> uh, going Under is a anti-capitalism roguelike dungeon crawler. That's the pitch. Okay. Um, I, I like this game a lot. I'm going to come out and say that. Uh, this game has a lot of heart. Uh, this is set in a, a capitalistic dystopia that I'm fairly certain is Seattle. Um, it's a... Uh, current day not fictional that's yeah uh in a world where uh when startups go under see they worked in the title or declare bankruptcy they become a dungeon filled with monsters and you play an intern at a um flavored carbonated water company called fizzle you play a jackie fiasco an intern trying to get a, a a degree in design uh, and you are tasked with going into these dungeons to uh, secure assets and supplies so your company does not go under. I'm surprised it wasn't WeWork. Oh, yeah. Um, well, there are. Uh, so how the game works is um, there's really only three dungeons, but halfway through they sort of get an upgraded form. You do your normal roguelike thing of going through every time it's a random dungeon, and then there's like abilities and skills that like buff you, like things where items you throw catch on fire, or when enemies hit you they get electrocuted. Um, but you're primarily grabbing weapons out of like items in the environment. It's very much like Dead Rising in that way where you're picking up, like, chairs or filing cabinets or uh, what have you. Like, one of the dungeons is a, um, like, a dating app where you can only communicate in emojis. Uh, So items down there are emoji-themed. Like, you pick up a a giant eggplant and smack enemies with that. Uh, 
the game has a very cute art style. In fact, it's meant to like evoke those those horrible corporate like infographics. Um, you you would immediately recognize it if you saw it. And then um, every item has like a weapon degradation, like like Dead Rising or Breath of the Wild. So you're constantly scrambling and changing up your arsenal. You can only have like three items at a time. Um, and it, you know, it's not a great gameplay loop because it's very chaotic. Um, but it's definitely fun. It's nothing that I would get, like, too skill-intensive. Like, I'd start a run and be like, well, I got good skills, so I'll see this through to the end. But, you know, you can... There are definitely not all skills are created equal when you find them. Sometimes it's like, you, uh, when you crawl under desks, they explode. But you still... It, it like, you're not safe from the explosion, so it's kind of a, you would never use it. <laughs> Um, except super contextually. Uh, I think the game has a lot of heart with its story, um, particularly. It, it's it's very biting in the satire of, like, corporate corporatism and things. Like, uh, everything that your manager, like, tells you to do is at the whims of, like, well, if you look at the AI-generated chart, uh, companies that do this are more likely to succeed, so you should go do that. Uh, the the realest moment is at the very start of the game where you're getting introduced to your coworkers and your supervisor is like, all right, tell us your name, how old you are, where you were born, and what your deepest uh d what your deepest dream is, <laughs> and your character basically says, uh, I'm 19, my dream is to have healthcare. <laughs> it's just a a very fun game. Um, I beat it in like 10 hours, and the last dungeon isn't that. Fun. It's a bit, a bit of a slog, and unfortunately you can't replay the last dungeon, which is an issue for me, because there's not really much of a post-game to this. Like, I only unlocked, like, 50% of the skills, um, and I don't really have a desire to go back and get the rest, because I've beaten the game, and it kind of has that, like, Zelda issue, where the post-game is just right before you finished the game, and that's when everything is the most on fire, so, like, the hub area is kind of a mess to look at. I, yeah. That makes this makes all sense. Um, but but you would recommend the game, of course, right? I, I would recommend it. Um, oh, the biggest laugh I got is it has um, kind of like like in Hades with chaos, uh, like one of those classic like you get a buff at like the cost of like some sort of temporary downside, uh, and those are given to you by the Hauntrepreneur, who is a vampire living in the dungeons, who is literally the guy from those old like youtube ads where it's the guy that's like i'm here in my garage with all my cars ty lopez yes the classic no it is straight up that guy because his area is his garage and he, his cars are blocking you getting to his buffs so you have to talk to him <laughs> <laughs> that's good i dig that um yeah I, I like i like the game a lot i would give it a hearty recommend speaking of corporations <laughs> yeah speaking of fucking whew. Uh, I, I've, I have been lightly playing. I haven't played since they added Multiverses, the uh, Warner Brothers property amalgamation promotion thing, um, Smash Bros. clone. Um, I haven't played since they added Rick Sanchez. Um, so You're missing out on all the meta. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm missing out on Pickle Rick and Mr. Meeksies, clearly. Um, I, I wanted to, like... Because I also played the other, and I never talked about this on cast. I played the other Smash Bros. clone that was the Nickelodeon uh, All Smash Up. Oh, that one was a classic. <laughs> <course>. Proceed. <laughs> no, but uh, I played Nickelodeon All Stars, and both of them 
I think multiversity is better. Multiversus. Is it multiversus or multiversity? I don't even multiverses. know. Multiverses. Multiversity is something else. That's the Grant Morrison comic, yes. yes. Yeah, 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 you're right. Um, it, the, the thing I didn't like about the Nickelodeon All-Stars was how bereft of content it was other than the bare essentials for it being a mascot platformer. Yeah, it didn't even have voice acting at launch. It, it, it didn't even have voice acting or items at launch. Oh, right? yeah. It seemed to only cater to people who liked Melee. And look, I like Super Smash Bros. Melee as much as the next guy. But Brawl it's is good. the it's best good one, game. we're agreed. <laughs> I, would, I, I legit think smash ultimate's the best one 100 yeah. smash ultimate's the best one um brawl's pretty good brawl's up there but like brawl has things to support other experiences what i like about multiversus at the very least is the idea that it is built around a gameplay thing that feels kind of satisfying um it's mainly it's meant for 2v2 co-op so mm. in that sense the gameplay loop is fundamentally different and more satisfying they do have 1v1 options but you can tell the game is meant for more team synergy and uh, i appreciate that what i don't like is um i don't know who's uh, the most broken character in multiverses i haven't been keeping up but it used to be tom and jerry <laughs> okay things video games make you say um <laughs> yeah 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 um I, I guess the thing I don't like about it is the free-to-play elements of it locking characters off. And then it, I also don't like... Yeah, it's that weird Space Jam vibe, man. The, the Space Jam it's multiverses... A little, it's just a little weird to be fighting as the Iron Giant. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I think... I think the real thing is Smash Bros elevates the intellectual properties they're in. Like, it's a good thing that, like, fucking Sora's in Smash Bros and yeah. Richter Belmont's in Smash Bros and Little Max in Smash Bros. These elevate the franchises. And, it, you know, you could say it in the same way where it's like, oh, you know, Nickelodeon All-Stars or Multiverses promote these brands that haven't been around. Like, I'm glad Multiverses has Gizmo from the Gremlins in it. I love Gremlins. But... Mm -hmm. It feels more shallow and it feels less earned or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's some weird uh, a thing I can't necessarily articulate. It, maybe one day it, I'm going to keep playing this. So maybe I'll articulate. Does it kind Because this you is know? the vibe I got. And again, it's hard to artic articulate. It kind of feels like if we got Smash Ultimate without Smash 64 through 4. Is that a little bit of that? Like, but like also, I think Sakurai is really important. Mm -hmm. Sakurai and every uh, I guess I don't believe in auteur theory, but like Sakurai's <laughs> devotion to the things and then like just the teams in general, you could tell Smash Bros was made with a love for each franchise. Whereas I don't necessarily feel that with Nickelodeon All Stars, and I don't necessarily feel it with Multiverses. They feel way more corporate in a bad way. Mm -hmm. That's that's the only way I guess I can say it. I mean, straight up, like LeBron James is in it because he was in <laughs> Space Jam Two. But as far as I know, no one likes Space Jam 2. I haven't smoked any, like, children recently about it, but... I, I like Bugs Bunny in Space Jam 2. Yeah. That, that was my only comment of that. You better keep playing uh, until Zaslav decides to write it off as a tax write-off. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. And that was before the... Disco oh, when Discovery purchased a... Oh, my God. I can't wait for 90 Day Fiancé to have their character added. <laughs> <laughs> From the 90 Day Fiancé universe did you see that in King, 
fucking Guy Fieri and uh, Zach Bagans. Oh, join they would add Guy Fieri. They're kind of about it. They would 100% add Guy Fieri. They've already added LeBron. Chip and Joanna Gaines with a synergy. <laughs> I've, I've circled back around. I'm kind of pro this game. So, yeah. Uh, Murph, you played the Descenders, right? I did. This is the other game I was uh, testing on my uh, my Steam Deck. Um, so so uh, listeners of the podcast will know Mar- Murph's been in the market for a, for a good train game, but um, I'm I've I've also been in the market for a good mountain biking game, and I haven't really found any modern offerings that scratch that itch. The Descenders comes close. Once I actually started really digging into it. Um, what I initially thought this was was a, a mountain biking racing game, but it's not. Like, the trailers show a bunch of different players on the tracks. That's really kind of false advertising. Like, you'll see other players on the tracks, but they're, like, it's, like, like FromSoft ghosts. <laughs> um, so the main, like, career mode of this is all randomly generated tracks based on, like, the theme of the area you're in. There's, like, a highlands, a forest, a city theme. Um, and it will give you, like, different nodes and say, like, this track is stunt-focused with steep inclines. Or this track is mellow and has gentle curves. And you'll, like, go through that track. And if other players are playing that track at the same time, you'll see them. Um, it, that's kind of unsatisfying for me. Like, the main career mode is real hit or miss um it does capture what i kind of just wanted which is all i really want is to go downhill very fast and dodge obstacles i don't really care about doing tricks um that sounds like an iphone gamer i (laughs) it sounds like you want a free run iphone game you should play temple run uh, so the sense of speed is very nice and um you can pull off some pretty like impressive tricks like i've been able to do the thing where you flip upside down and do a 360 and then land that um, like, it all just works very fine, and this game does have some very intense, like, PS2-era energy about it, um, particularly, like, in the breadth of, like, wacky unlockables you can get. But the the career mode's really hit or miss, but then if you actually dig into the different, like, play modes it has, down at the very bottom, there's just a thing called Bike Parks. And in that, there are 30 different, very elaborate and large just levels you're plonked into and these are like tony hawk style levels where you just ride around and do tricks and have fun you're not on a timer or anything and in fact this is the mode that seems most people play so that's where you see the most like other players and like you're all going around trying to pull off the same jump at the same time um that's very satisfying and that's what i've been playing for like the last week or so just these different bike parks and seeing like the breadth of them and the different sort of like tricks and jumps it challenges you to pull off um are you a big trials hd guy i'm sorry for this divergence an hour into the podcast i like trials but trials isn't quite what i'm looking for um because there's not much speed yeah yeah and it's very more focused on like Trials is more an arcade game, yeah. you know? Um, so it's more about, like, the execution more than anything. And this kind of is. Like, um, if you, if you like, smack into a tree at high speed, your character just goes flying and you wince horribly. Um, oh, so, so there's some ragdoll appreciation. Oh, yeah, there's some intense ragdoll appreciation, especially since you can, like, do a complicated button maneuver to just eject your character from their pike at high speed. 
Um, like I said, this game has some very strong PS2 energy, particularly in the fact there's a lot of, like, secret unlockable areas. Like, in those bike parks I mentioned, spread across them, there are, like, eight hidden collectibles, and if you get them all, you unlock a a volcano-themed area for, the for, like, the career mode and things like that. Like, there's ten there's four base areas for career mode, and then there's, like, eight more that are secret unlockables. And that's very pleasant. Like, I think there is a lot of mileage to get out of this game. I just don't know if it's quite what I was looking for, and I'm not sure I would buy it at its, like, full $20 price. Um, luckily, from what I can glean, this is on Game Pass, given all the people I was playing with are were showing the Xbox logo next to their name. So it does have crossplay, which is nice. Um, so I'd recommend it for, like, Game Pass people to try out, particularly if you want something in a sort of, like, Tony Hawk Pro Skater style, but with a mountain bike. That's rock and roll. All right, I, everybody, I think it's time for the Variety Minute. The Variety Minute jingle is done. Yeah, 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 we edited that. Okay, so this week's Variety Minute is escort missions, and I did not prep for this at all. Ever Theo, what's your favorite escort game? Escort mission or escort game? Jeez, um, can I say a genre? Like, sure. A lot of first-person shooters have, have escort missions. Um, it's a game type. Yeah, yeah. it's a game type, and... I guess it's where it started from, and I guess where it got most of people not liking it. Um, I guess because most... Well, well back then, it, instead of it being an AI, which I suppose we will get to for this, um, it, usually it's a player or playing as a character that's not incapable of things. I think of, like, Team Fortress 1 yeah. and then having the civilian class. Yeah, Warframe has that... one, but, like, Warframe's escort mission, by the time I started playing Warframe, is, like... Yeah, whatever. You can leave it. You can leave the person you're escorting behind, as long as you make it to the end. It's fine. Um, so like, it's kind of nerfed there, but it really feels like a lot of escort missions just got like its derision because bad AI and really punitive gameplay. I think I think escort missions are kind of one of those things like water levels. Where oh, they get, nice. <laughs> uh, they get a bad rap primarily because the the most popular examples are just really poorly implemented. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think the most famous example is like Resident Evil Four. But e even like I said this when we did the tier list, I said you know I have no problem with Ashley Graham whatsoever. And in fact, I was kind of thinking that anyone who did complain about having to protect Ashley is just bad at the game. Um, I'd agree with that. And also, yeah. the instances of having <laughs> to protect Ashley are so rare, I don't really know why it got the label as a escort mission game. Um, the other example that came to mind as, like, very much put forward as an escort mission done right is was Bioshock Infinite, which I'm very questioning on. Because it's not so much that you're escorting Elizabeth. She's just kind of there. In fact, I forget she's there until, like, the combat stops and she and Booker have to talk to each other. 
Well, yeah, Elizabeth can't die is, I, I think, one of the big things there. So then it becomes just an NPC that just follows you around no matter what, right? Yeah, and she, like, helps um, in combat, but like I said, I forget yeah. she's there. It's kind of like uh, Last of Us with Ellie, which is, like, it's, you know, I don't need one more thing to keep track of in Last of Us, but yeah. I, I just don't know why it's labeled exactly as, like, an escort mission game. Like, I think there needs to be some delineating on what the term means have either of you played a plague tale yes i, I yes, mean i, I have plague but, tale. yeah plague tale springs the uh, mind. plague tale yes i would say that does follow into a more well plague tale is kind of like ico where it's your yeah. your player character is protecting a like a a weaker character but that care that that npc character can still like help out and they you know it's sort of like brothers in a way where mm. one can do thing the other things the other can't. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the things the other can't is combat. Right. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think one big one that I realized quickly researching uh, lists here is Dead Rising, and Dead mm-hmm. Rising is a game I love. I love Dead Rising, and and it's so fundamental too. Um, because like I play Dead Rising Four, and Dead Rising Four completely removes the escort missions. As soon as you find a person, they the, as soon as you find a survivor, they just leave. They disappear into the ether. Whereas in the previous games, it was like a big thing to find somebody and have to take them all the way back to the safe house. It was a journey. It was like a a thing you had to uh divest uh invest time into because time is a big deal in dead rising yeah so and it's a core part of the gameplay too so i actually really enjoy the escorts in dead rising and even then the ai is not very good in dead Rising. no it is not in fact i would argue it's, it's one of those games that gave escort missions a bad rap oh no see well the thing is is it's it's at the very least nice because it doesn't get in the way of the main campaign. Largely speaking, the main campaign doesn't force you into those escort missions. Mm-hmm. It is just because dead because of how De- Dead Rising's formatted. Uh, there's multiple ways to play the game, and there's a main campaign that doesn't force you to do that. And then there's like, oh, you could save every survivor if you can. You'd get a different ending. You know what I mean? So in that way, I think it's very respectable. Yeah. You know. Uh, I, another one I wrote down here: the end of Metal Gear Solid Three where you have to protect and heal uh, Eve. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. for me, is the most frustrating part of the game, because it's kind of that... I think escort missions kind of fall into that slot of, like, gimmick levels for some games, um, where it's like... Like, also in Metal Gear Solid, like the original, there's, like, the level it's like, Snake, you can't use your weapons! And it's like, oh, so now I have to, like learn to play the game differently now in like this you know penultimate moment and that's how it felt in Metal Gear Solid 3 where it's like okay now I need to like think incredibly different about how I've been playing the game up to this point and that's like frustrating it's kind of like having to teach an old dog new tricks but isn't that also kind of cool as a design decision you know what I mean it it depends greatly on the implementation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I would rather a game be built from the ground up with that idea rather than changing what the game is uh, to accommodate Oof. it. That's a really good segue to the thing. But do we have any other? Do we have any other ideas of escort missions? I was thinking, like you know, sometimes, um, like modern Fire Emblems. Well, not 
have escort missions, but they will have instances where it's like, protect the villagers. And those missions are always like, they're doable, but sometimes it's frustrating. Um, More what I was thinking is instances where the game tricks you into making it an escort mission. And again, like those fire emblems, um, they always have the the unit that's like the villager who starts like super weak, but has insane like stat growths. So you need to like kind of babysit them and get them like they're like have everyone else whittle down the enemy and then have them come in and get the final kill. So they get the experience. Um, And those instances I always was frustrated with because it's like at any moment, like a mage across the map could just blow them up and then you have to restart the save because, you know, you're playing with permadeath because you're a big boy. Um, I I think it's kind of falls into that like dead rising scenario like you're talking about, like the content, it's it's optional. Um, And that's, I think, uh, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) It's all good. I realized when when we were talking about it, um, horror actually gets a good bit of mileage from this because it's it's vulnerability, but it's also vulnerability in a way that you can't control. And removal of control helps in horror. Actually, um, there's for me, I don't mind so much like when like Silent Hill is a good example in both Silent Hill two and Silent Hill four. Um, you have NPCs that you have to make sure don't get hurt. They can get hurt, actually. Um, They can't die or else you get really, you get in trouble, let's just say. Yeah. But, um, but like, they can, they can take damage and affect your endings or whatever. Um, And those, I I think those are perfectly acceptable and I think work in different ways. And uh, yeah, it really depends on the artistic execution, you know? How much, how much the NPC, because primarily I think escort missions are done as like a storytelling mechanic, more than a gameplay one. You know, it's, it's how do you get the players to care, how do you get the characters to care about the story um, of this like weak, vulnerable character? Well, you make them protect them in the game. It's young wolf and cub, baby. Um, but if the... Yeah. If the NPCs are, like, imposing on the player, then they're just going to get frustrated with the character and not be and not form that emotional attachment. Um, you know, I, I think about, like, uh, to me, like, all the most frustrating escort missions I've ever done in games are in, like, the Zelda franchise. Like, Twilight Princess, when you have to, like, protect that carriage while Moblins right around it shooting flaming arrows. Man, I, I spent, like four hours stuck on that because of the stupid aiming didn't work right. And at the end, yeah. when you like get to the end with the characters you rescued, I'm like, I, I hate looking at them now. I hate that I had to like spend four hours protecting their ass, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. With that, I think uh, we are ready to move on to the game of the week. Y'all it's time.
this week's game of the week is Eco. Um, Eco is a game for the PlayStation 2 released in September 24th, 2001 in America for the PlayStation 2 by Team Eco. Eco is a game about a young boy um, who grew, who upon growing horns is banished from his village into a fortress. Um, you team up with an older girl along the way, Yorda, who's a princess, uh, to escape the fortress and the clutches of her mother, the evil shadow queen. Um, I think the gameplay is simple enough that we should talk about it during the broad discussion. So, Theo, what did you think of this game? Um, this game is, I think, probably one of the more... It's not as glamorous as Shadow of the Colossus, as far as Ueda's games are concerned. And it's not as melancholic in some ways as uh, The Last Guardian, considering The Last Guardian's ending. So when I first played this game back in college, so... 2006 yes lifetimes ago. lifetimes ago recessions ago um <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> recessions in one lifetime ago <laughs> two of them by now um but uh i got i was able to play eco during a pretty darker place in my college career like it was the last big hurrah smashing party before finals and like i'm just a friend of mine gave me a white russian and here's eco go play <laughs> this game <laughs> um so that's that's pretty much what i did for that day and um i really it was meditative because of the puzzles um at that point and later when i played it again because i have the the ps3 hd uh, release also when I played it later so this is after 2011 um, I was able to more focus on the story on top of like the meditative aspect of the the puzzles and that's when you know the story of friendship the story of teamwork of of well we're we're here together and we're both we're both prisoners so let's try to help each other escape which I guess is pretty much what Iko was thinking when he saw Yorda in her birdcage. It's like, well, we're both here. Let's try and escape together. Um, I don't want to say it for the second time, but heartwarming in a way. Because um, you have these, this really simple story of, hey, we're in the same boat. Let's help each other. And that's pretty much the long and short of it. The foundation. Yeah, it's the long and yeah, short of it. Yeah, it's the foundation of everything. Um, Murph, what did you think of the game real quick? Uh, so this is my first time playing this. Um, I, I played Shadow of Colossus for the first time not too long ago. I think in like 2014. I, I think it was like I finished it literally the month before they announced the big pretty remake. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I, uh, Eco is concerned, I, I think this game is basically perfect. But in that sort of admittedly boring way where I can't really think of what I would add or subtract to it that wouldn't ruin what it is. Yeah. Uh, it is so like perfectly constructed. Like the only thing that I would gripe on is the camera, but also the camera behaving how it is, is super integral to the atmosphere of it. So I don't really know how I would go about changing it. It's funny you, you mentioned subtraction too, because Ueda, Ueda, his whole his whole methodology is subtract until you have the essence of what you're trying to do. 
so he calls it um, design by subtraction. So he he had more, and then he just removed and removed and removed until he had a very synthesized essence of what he wanted. And uh, also in on on that same vein, um, I saw in an interview how he. How he describes things like I think a lot of times when we think of art and we think of things, we think of things as expression. And to Ueda, he, the way he—that's um, th the director of this game and leader of Team Eco, basically. Oh, I should have said that earlier. He—he he said he doesn't approach things in terms of creation like expression. He doesn't think of it like a book, right? He doesn't think of putting down words on a page like a book. Mm -hmm. So, like in that way, that's one of the reasons why the story is minimal, is because. It's much more about design, like architecting, building something. And in that way, it allows the mechanics to breathe. So in his mind, when he thinks of this is a video game about a boy and a girl holding hands and trying to escape an evil castle, um, he, he builds those mechanics and then the mechanics flesh out and then the story fleshes out and then the story never gets in the way of that core concept. And that way it feels very organic. So even when there are problems, and to me there are tiny problems, the problems are easily forgivable. I think my biggest problem was Yorda climbing a fucking ladder. Like, oh <laughs> yeah. my God. <laughs> but, other, but like, that's not an actual problem. That's just something that happens sometimes. And it's okay. And then like the camera, as Murph said, I think the camera is integral to some things because number one, it allows you to see the vistas and it allows you, because there's multiple buttons to control the camera as well. It allows you to zoom in to see the detailed character animations or just in general, it feels very important. Sometimes the camera will go into a fixed perspective to show you a solution to a puzzle. And in those ways, it feels really, really good. It feels like a lot of people, especially back in like the early aughts, always complained about the camera every all these reviewers were like oh the camera sucks and it's all all reviews from that time it's like oh the camera 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 so that was that's that's pretty funny that it, it does that but i i mean i really like ueda's methodology of being as minimal as possible to let the game be the game and let the level designers get some spotlight and you know um yeah i right. i think a lot about like modern design aesthetics that go with like this sort of you know oh the game doesn't hold your hand it's not going to tell you how to play it there's no tutorial and it's like looking at like a game like this it's like n the game is telling you what to do it's just not using text it's using visual cues right. i think that's something that a lot of these like you know, uber gamers miss out on is it's not the lack of help. It's just the difference in how it conveys that help to the player. Cause yeah. everything's very clear what, where to go, what to do. Like, you know, you can push and pull boxes around, but there's no like way you can soft lock yourself. If you push a box off a ledge, that's probably where the box is meant to go. You know? Yeah. Eco, eco is not sitting there like Batman in Arkham Knight and going, oh, maybe if I pulled this box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> subtle, sometimes, subtle storytelling. Sometimes if you, like, sit there long enough, um, the girl will point at something and be like, you want to you wanna look at that? You want to try that? <laughs> yeah. Um, which I did. I, it did happen to me once. Uh, did this game remind you of Mist, Murph? It is very Mist-like. It's very liminal in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially sort of like, I described Mist as like, 
you know, it's the quest for someone to talk to. Uh, this is sort of the inverse, where it's like the quest to protect the only other person you found in this place. It's to protect the only person you can talk to. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. if you talk to yes. them, you won't understand each other. You know. Yes, and that that's very interesting. Is the, there's there's that communication barrier that that uh, is really cool. Um, it, it allows the game to be visual, and it's not like you can't understand what Yorda is saying in her weird language. It's and also in the PAL version, I believe after New Game Plus or whatever, they reveal what she's saying. But it's very clear she's not saying complicated things. She's saying very simple things. Yeah, she's you not dropping I mean? lore in her dialogue or anything. I mean, you, you get what she's saying from her emotions. There's a lot that's conveyed just through the body language. Like when you first pair up and you exit that like initial uh, room, and there's your first your first couch which I love that the bonfires in this game are couches. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I use the term bonfire save point, um, but you know, you both just sort of sit down on it and you both just kind of like sit and like take in the weight of the world. And there's a lot that's like conveyed with that as like your, your save mechanic. What did you think of the last yeah. like uh, 45 minutes? The last 45 minutes you are without Yorda you get no save points and you have to navigate the last section of the, the castle by yourselves. Um, that was, that was probably the hardest part when I was first playing it. And I know this was like your first time. So I'm actually kind of curious how you guys. That, okay. So there that. are legitimately no save points in that whole section. Cause I nope. kept feeling like I missed one. Nope. Okay. No save points because you physically I... can't. You need Yorda to you save. You have to have Yorda to save. Ah, uh, okay. She activates the couch. I see. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in that like, in that sort of undercroft area of the dungeon of the castle with the uh, like the water wheel and the chains, that is where I felt the camera was at its most obtrusive, particularly because it's a lot of it's so dark. Everything kind of like visually blended into me, and there's a lot of like having to gauge jumps um with with the camera not being very helpful and seeing like where how like where exactly you're jumping like to um something that like like i kind of wish i had played this like on the 3ds or something to help gauge those hmm. um, um but as far as like once you're out of that platforming segment and then you're in that sort of final well so the penultimate fight against those shadow creatures that's where i pieced together what the shadow creatures are and i had a big oh moment yeah there's a lot um, of oh moments like that in Wade's games it's like yeah the eco um, one i no, i literally just had like the stupidest moment where i was like huh they have horns Oh wait a minute! Oh, wait a minute! Yeah, it's a it's a punch to the gut, at you know at that point. Mm -hmm. um, sort of like the punch to the gut to what you realize the shadow people and shadow of the Colossus are doing. Um, yeah, and I was gonna like I know I've always heard that these games are in continuity. Uh, my immediate guess is that Shadow of Colossus takes place before Eco. Am I am I in the ballpark with that assumption? <laughs> It's it's not unlike Yoko Taro, who will go off on stage plays and tell you exactly how they are connected together. Yeah. Ueda, and Mi Ueda and Miyazaki will never. Um, okay. It's all it's all implication. Uh, for all we know, they're not. But there are suggestions that they might be. There are suggestions that Momo is the Shadow Queen. Um, mm. 
but like okay. no one no one will ever know it's all up just speculation and nothing is set in a save point fun fact the original shadow of the colossus save points are modeled after ps2 save save cards yeah really like yes. like where you would go to save it was shaped they look like just a... they look just like save cards yeah that's that's weird that's huh <laughs> I don't know what to well, do with no, that. No, I mean, to, to, to me, like, to me, that evokes something that's, like, number one, like, the save card thing communicates, oh, this is a safe spot. And the couch communicates, oh, this is a place of rest. Yeah, this is a place it of just rest. has, like, a weird modern sensibility to it, right? Which makes sense because it's a video game. But, like, because of the minimalism, it allows a sense of abstraction. Uh, for me, this is a game where I don't really care about continuity. Yeah. This is a game where yeah. I sort of, you know how... You, Murph, you know how like sometimes you describe like playing Pokemon as a as a game where you fill in your own story. Yeah, I did that a lot with games like this or the original Nintendo Legend of Zelda, where where there's enough minimalism there to where I don't need to think I'm Link. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead, I think I'm a boy in a forest. It's a yeah, it's a vibe. It's game. a lot of it's a lot of vibes. This is a yeah. vibe game. It's, what you know is that Yorda is the daughter of the Shadow Queen, and Yorda for some reason was entrapped in a birdcage, and she and Eco just want to get out because Eco is not going to sit in a in a jar until he too becomes a shadow person. So. Like mm-hmm. that—that's what you need to know. That like everything that happens before and after is before and after. Yeah, it's a, it's a bottle story, and I I'm always impressed with games that are able to do, like just set in one location, mm-hmm. like just one building, one structure. And I think this game just has great continuity, or not continuity, interconnectedness between the areas, where it makes all sorts of like physical logical sense. Like, if you did a top-down view of this castle, you would be able to ID where each area is in the game. Yeah. Absolutely. And they even do things like... uh, Because you got to activate thing... you got to activate, like, two towers to, like, open the big doors... The front doors to get out. And both of those temples are basically the same, but mirrored. And it's only very, very slightly different. Yeah. So, like, in that way... You know, what's impressive is this game doesn't sacrifice um, the environment's integrity for the sake of gameplay. The the game is able to intertwine level design, gameplay, and the environmental realness and the the living, breathing world all into a nice blend in a way that feels very organic. The castle itself is a character. Like, Mm -hmm. you might as well equate the castle with the Shadow Queen because the castle isn't overtly an enemy but it isn't like your friend either anytime you're inside it is so dark and dreary and then when you step outside it's like the the warmest summer sun mm-hmm. um yep and that communicates a lot with like yorda for instance so like when when you're when you're carrying yorda around and you're outside it's bright and then like that that those last 45 minutes the reason why they're so dark is because you're alone yeah, and mm-hmm. she's she's basically made of light. Yeah, essentially, yes. and, she glows. and the game is able to communicate this. Yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. guys get to play the uh, the hidden player two? Because mm, uh, I I didn't because I emulated this, but I don't. How would that the PS work? the PS three HD remaster is based on the PAL PS two, and in mm-hmm. the PAL PS two, um, a person who sets a um, a controller on player two can take control of Yorda. And open doors. Yeah, I mean, she does the Yorda thing, but you can—they can walk around as Yorda 
instead of okay. relying on that would her be AI. helpful in like the the shadow demon fights even though i don't really think that those are so much a problem but it's not a huge problem but it's pretty fun <laughs> okay we should we should talk about the actual fundamental gameplay so like the the fundamental gameplay is like yeah you you basically have to hold yorda's hand or call out to her and you bring her from room to room she can open the main doors that allow you to go through places um and you're trying to protect her whenever you can from shadow beings the shadow beings don't really want you they can hit you and knock you down but you're really probably not going to die from them um the only thing you can really die from is a fall from a long distance yep. yeah um but otherwise you're trying to protect yorda from being taken in into the dark little abysses of the shadow creatures so um yeah, and then and then in terms of puzzle solving, you'll often have to like leave Yorda alone and leaving her vulnerable while you go figure something else out in another room. And that obviously, as Murph said, involves moving boxes, climbing ropes, cutting ropes, all that stuff. So like that's 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 pretty much it. Yeah, you go ahead. Mm -hmm. If when you leave her alone long enough, the shadow creatures will show up because they're like moths to a flame. And... Yeah, or if you go to like certain areas out of order that you're supposed to do them because there are some instances where i went on ahead not realizing i could there was a way i could bring yorda with me um yeah. and i would like go on ahead like maybe two screens and then i'd hear the gasp and run back and by the time i had gotten back she was already pulled into the pit right. um but then there are other instances where it's very deliberate that you two are supposed to be separated and in those instances you can be as like away from her for much longer because the, the game designers recognize that you don't you shouldn't be rushing this yeah especially some of the the bigger platforming areas where you're looking for a way to bring her across because she can't jump that far mm -hmm. there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh that was a lot of work just to uh drop a bridge you know it's it's one of those <laughs> those puzzle games um, Reminds me of Half-Life 2. <laughs> yes, yes, actually. <laughs> yeah. Where you spent two hours in another area just to bring down a bridge and walk two feet. Yeah, um, but it all works just fine. Like, I never felt, like, aggravated by having to protect Yorda because, I, I don't know, there's something very intensely, immediately likable and I, I want to protect about her character design there's also not a lot of stress yeah. in that game like there we were just talking about escort missions and a lot of escort missions are in high stress games yeah. where you get annoyed that you have to do this again not because you have to protect somebody but because you have to do it again and prove to the game that you can do it again in a high stress game and Eco is not a high-stress game. No. I think that, like, there's something the game does that's very clever, which is you move faster when you're holding hands. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's something, like, you know, I didn't need to be told that. I just picked up on it. And that's something, like, you know, a, a player can just immediately into that. And so immediately you're always wanting to hold hands with Yorda because that means you can look around and explore faster, which means she's, like, always present with you and always present in your mind. Yeah. And and the whole game is centered around them, those two people holding hands. Despite the fact that mm -hmm. they can't understand each other, despite their like age differences and personal differences and background, they still that that handhold is the image for Eco. Mhm. Mm yep. 
Um, yeah. What I picked up on this game is sort of like like right from the start is the sound design, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is something that's a very Japanese thing, is going really hard in on the soundscape being how do I want to phrase this like amplified softer sounds like like the the sound of your footsteps and like the sound of your birds are uh, not your birds the birds are very present in the soundscape but there's no like the only time you really hear a soundtrack kick in is when you're saving and the save theme is very nice and relaxing or the brief moments where the shadow creatures appear um that also happens in resident evil right Oh yeah, like Resident Evil. Resident <laughs> what Evil I was going to jump to is a uh, one of my favorite Miyazaki movies is Castle of Cagliostro, and mm-hmm. even though that's like a bombastic loop on the third cartoon, um, it's still very subdued with its sound design. Like that climax is all about like the footsteps on the gears of the Clockwork Tower and things. Yeah, um, and that's just sort of what I notice. You're just kind of always present in the castle in Eco. Yeah, I mean it is kind of a Japanese thing. Silence is more per- silence and not as in there's no like BGM a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but also a lot like more the, pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sounds are always more realistic, whereas like a more um, Western or American animated thing will have like sort of more cartoony noises just for like the character moving like their arm or something. Yeah. Fill uh, in silence. Silence is a is not as well liked in, in I, I, I agree with this man. um the I will I will say a counter example just for the sake of proving the rule uh the witness which is also a mist like game which was also covered during mist um the witness has like I want to say 700 unique footstep sounds um, oh really like in in terms of yes uh John John blow was like very detailed in that am- ambience and environmental uh, sound design. Yeah. So I think in some ways it leads to that specific sort of uh, immersion in pu- puzzle solving in blending into the world. Yeah, I think a lot of modern games, a lot of modern games have really stepped up with their sound design, like The Witness. And some other games have been, will spotlight their sound designers and their Foley artists and they'll show what they go through to like create the sounds that they need for certain items or weapons or guns or whatever like whatever you think of like I think Warframe had some some like saw sounds not like saws and cutting but like a saw used as uh, an instrument sort of thing is it was kind of weird oh but, okay like, like a like a jug band thing yeah like a jug thing but like you know, a lot of modern games have really stepped up on their sound, and I think a lot of Western games have backed off from needing to put BGM in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially since, like, like Kingsfield will have a BGM for everything, but the, the BGM is because, like, they didn't have a whole lot of textures, and you need to know where you are, and the BGM will tell you where you are. Uh, you don't need that anymore, so... Yeah. Um, it, I was about halfway through the game when I realized that the shadow creature's don't make any sounds whatsoever right. you only know they're about because that music kicks in yep. and that just kind of makes them much more unsettling I, I don't like the way they move it's so there's something so weirdly innocent about the way they move and I think that just sort of ties into yeah their origin yeah you, you keep trying to you keep trying to hint drop here the spoiler we're... spoiler cast <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah spoiler cast Jesus no um 
but on the topic of animations, I think that's what's so cool about this game in particular is seeing the movements of um, Eco and Yorda. Um, like the, the, every every mo movement has a lot of weight to it. And it feels very realistic and grounded in that way. And that, you know what I mean? That definitely shows in, in because Weta's background is in animation. Like, that's yeah. how he came up. He was an animator. He was doing animation things. And that's that's where he shines the most. And I don't... And it makes me happy to know that people have noticed that his animations for Eco are where they are because they are extremely deliberate and he is very meticulous in the animation. Like, Eco was supposed to be a PlayStation game. He moved up to PlayStation 2 because the animations didn't work. Um, Shadow of the Colossus is a, is a, was supposed to be an early PlayStation 2 game, but they couldn't get inverse kinematics to work the way they wanted to until the very, like, until they released it. And Shadow of the Colossus is a pioneer in what inverse kinematics does today because he's so obsessive with animation in particular. Um, and I guess that's, that's part of why he sets his stories as he does because he's much more visual than he is a writer. Yeah. It's very, yeah. it's very grounded. Um, and I think the animation really helps that. Like there are multiple instances where you hop a gap and then you have to like sort of catch y uh, Yorda hopping across the same gap. And even though it's like, it looks like the same animation each time I would, I would be, you could convince me that it's a different animation per gap. But um, every time you kind of feel like I was kind of like holding my breath, like, Oh, is, <laughs> is something going to happen this time? Is it going to like do a cutscene where she slips and falls or something? Oh, every but time. But that pays off so well at the end when the bridge falls. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's what I was thinking of. Cause then, then it sort of subverts that element where where she's catching you, and it all sort yeah. of comes full circle. Again, Good moments, hands yeah. clasping together is extremely important as a, like a visual leitmotif in eco. Extremely um, important. What, what are the what one of the cool things that I thought of um, when I played this game this time around was um, the sword, for instance. Um, combat's not a really big emphasis in this game. And the first thing you do when you get the sword is not like any other game would be like, oh, it's time. It's time for combat. You spent a bunch of hours with a wooden stick. Now let's see how you do with this sword, baby. Yeah. Instead, instead, this game is like, oh, you can cut rope now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, I can cut rope. Oh, yeah. This is a game changer. Yeah, that is. It's just moments like that that just like hit. And then you get the lightning sword. And you don't even really use that for a couple minutes until you get to that like final, like confrontation. Um, how do how do you guys feel about that final like boss fight with the queen? Um, I like how non-existent it is. Yeah. Like or non-obtrusive, it, it doesn't get in the way. If it was real combat, I wouldn't have liked it. Mm -hmm. I think it is just enough of a puzzle for it to work. Yeah, like I think I agree. It's not it's not a combat like. There's combat, but it's not combat. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think I would have liked if Yorda was involved in that climax in any way, just to really bring the message of, like, you know, unity home. Mm. Um, but I, I was still satisfied with that conclusion. Um, I think uh, going into, like, the, the final, like, 
cutscene and everything, I was definitely like, because I, I didn't know, I looked up no spoilers. I didn't know how this game ended. I was like, well, are those crazy kids going to get out? Are they? <laughs> are they? You're so worried. <laughs> I was. I was deeply, because the game does a very good job at getting you to not really care about them as individuals, but care about them as a pair. Um, you know, and I think that's extremely masterful and i haven't seen a lot of games do um and, uh, and then they they enjoy they some a, melon they enjoy some melon and that's they chill on the beach chill. i love beaches i'm so glad there's a beach in this game and they chill on the beach and you can yeah. find that beach in, in shadow of the colossus oh so it so it is in continuity is what well, you're saying they stuck <laughs> the beach in but you have to go really far afield but yeah I think I, mean, I may have actually stumbled upon that beach when looking for the sandworm colossus. Oh, wow. You were really far afield. Cause, like, yeah. I missed the whole little cave you had to go into. Shadow of the Colossus is actually a huge map, and you don't necessarily need to traverse most of it. Yeah. It's very small. We'll, we'll talk about that on the Shadow of the Colossus character. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but, like, enjoy some melon, and you sit down. Yeah. And then you try to speed run the game um, because of <laughs> trophies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can... There's a couple of trophies that, like, will allow you... Will pop if you can get it under, like, five hours and, I think, two hours. Damn. Yeah. Okay, and that's when you get, like, the unlockable costumes and everything, right? No, there's there's none <laughs> of that. There are some... Unlo there's some <laughs> unlockable swords, I think. Um, lightsaber... If you like do what, really, yeah. There's like a there's a yes. lightsaber puzzle. It's a puzzle. You have to find. Oh. Did, did you guys get the mace? Oh, well, I no. did. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a couple of weapons yeah. in the game that will unlock if you find the puzzle in the field. The puzzles are dumb sometimes to find. And then complete the puzzle in the field, mm -hmm. and then you'll find okay. it. Okay. So, go so, like, I'll give you an example of the mace. So, here's what you do for the mace. On the waterfall level, when you go up to the thing, um, there's, like, trees out in the thing. You have, to you have to, like, hit one of the trees enough to where you get a ball. You bring the ball into the one room, and then there's, like, a, a there's like walls. One of them is miscolored. You push the miscolored wall. This doesn't happen any other time in the game, really, where you, where you push the wall and it twists, and then you take the ball, and then you get on the switch, and then there's a box that comes out, and then you throw the ball, like basketball, into the fucking basket, and then you get the mace. It is a very okay. video game. And then you, you beat, Part of me doesn't like it. Then Part you beat the rabbit king in a race, and now you can play as Waluigi. I, I understand. I'm not shitting you. This is the game. Yeah, there's a this couple of like do. hidden hidden puzzles and they yield weapons. You don't need the weapons. The weapons don't really help you very much. It's just oh look, I got a thing. It's I got just a souvenir. It's a dumb reward. It's a dumb reward. Yeah. How, how do you uh how do you guys feel about like the individual puzzles? Is there one that particularly stands out or one that seems a little silly? I think everybody I've talked to and I agree water wheel the water mm. wheel puzzle it will yeah Wait, what do you mean can you describe more um, i don't know what it's it's name. i think the first time you're really outside and you have to manipulate a water wheel um to get somewhere and it it feels really obtuse yeah oh yeah i, I would okay. agree with that one um the first 
like area I got stuck in was the um that outdoor like graveyard area with like the water level the water area below it and then there's like a pipe you got to climb up. I got so confused about that pipe because there's a larger pipe running along the wall and then beneath that it looks like there's a hole and I was like mm. okay so I've got to figure out how to blow up this pipe so I can get into that hole somehow mm. um, that was the only time I like looked at a guide to be like am I am I looking at the logic of this correctly and it's like no I was completely off there's a you can just go back to a, a hole and reach down and pull up Yarda out uh, yeah. yep. um, my, my least favorite I don't know why it wasn't that hard. Um, I don't like I don't like having to time things sometimes. I the one the highest stress you want to know the highest stress situation in this fucking game was when you have to blow up the fucking tower. You have to throw a lit bomb and you have to like hit the tower just right. I I used like three or four bombs. It was, oh. it was very annoying. I didn't mess yeah. that up once, even though I replayed that area a lot because I kept falling. Okay, Murph. Oh, you're so fucking good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at kidding. throwing bombs. No, you're good at jumping. You know, we we complement each other. <laughs> so yeah, sure. Hold each yeah, other's yeah, hand yeah. and um, run through the castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll be my Yorda, Murph. I love you. Okay. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, uh, any other thoughts on this? Oh, Murph, you read like half of the fucking oh, novelization. I do. I want to know about this novelization. Okay, well, I do have a fascination with video game novelization, so I did buy uh, the novelization uh, Eco Castle in the Mist. It's not by anyone on the dev team. In fact, it like straight up says, uh, like the author's a very prolific Japanese author, but it, like the preface says, um, I was such a fan of this game, I reached out to the devs, and they said I could just go hog wild writing whatever I wanted, as long as it sort of matched the uh, the plot of the game. Yeah. And so they did? Uh, and so, they, and so did. they did. So this is like about 400 pages long. It takes like the first 100 pages to even get to the castle, because it's all about Eco's like home life. Um, it weirdly... Like, I don't know if this is... I, I only got halfway, but it weirdly seems to be implying that Iko and, and Yorda are, are siblings. Um, because there's, like, this statue of a horned knight that comes to life and talks to Iko. And is like, oh, you must be my... And then it trails off. And the entire time Iko's thinking, like, oh, my, was that my dad? Uh, but it's also implied that the knight was, like, the lover of the Night Queen. Which is weird. Um, there's also other people in the castle, which sort of ruins the whole isolation aspect. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not my speed as far as like the prose and also the, the, the paperback's sort of badly formatted cause it's translated. Yeah. It doesn't really have proper chapter breaks, breaks or anything, but you know, if, if you need more out of this story, like just a, a fully authorized fan fiction, yeah, this, this already ruined my canon. My, my head canon. I don't like it. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, did this novelization come out yeah. before Shadow of the Colossus? Or? Oh, that's what no, I was I trying to look up because there's a part where I think it, it came out in 2011 or something. Uh, the novelization. Let me see if I can find. Where did I drop that? Uh, this released in 2004. Yeah, that's, that's oh, before that's Shadow of the That's what the copyright says. Wow, nice. Oh, and then it came out in English in 2011. That's that was. How yeah, that yeah. that lag is still still for real. <laughs> wow. Um, 
but anyways what i was gonna say was is like i do think the game communicates some things like for instance this is one of those modern touches i felt was the first time the shadow queen she blocks the front doors and at the the way she says um like you guys can't fucking escape is very like i don't know may, maybe i've been in enough relationships where their mother is like you're not good enough for my girl Shit. but those that that is what i got from the shadow queen was like yorda's too good for a boy like you it is right? interesting so like, that it, uh, you almost get the feeling she doesn't even care about you getting out. It's just the fact because yes. she's like, oh, no, no, my daughter can't survive outside the castle. Like, that's her justification, yes. not like, oh, you shall not escape, boy with horns. Yeah, in, in those ways, I think the story conveys some nuances that I think is actually, like, really cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it sort of implies that if Eco just abandoned her he could have gotten out of the castle just fine and not yeah, had to deal with any shadow have. creatures. or Oh, he couldn't have opened the doors, I guess. Yeah. Yes. But, but yeah. he never factored to the Shadow Queen, really. No. The Shadow no. Queen needs Yorda for whatever reason. Um, and not to be in an episode of Smothered coming soon to Multiverses. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did look up. What was the fun fact I found about the Queen? Ignore me. Talk about other things. You looked up. Fun, talk, you're looking for fun facts. Talk about lore. Are, are we doing? <laughs> talk about. You you two you oh, two oh, like talk about the box covers. Oh, the Quick, box art. Box covers. Oh, the box art's terrible in you in the U.S. version. <laughs> oh yeah yeah. I realized I had seen this game before at a game crazy, but I never got it because the box cover looked awful. Yeah. It is legitimately oh, made fun of on the PS3 HD remaster because there's a bunch of interviues on it. And they spe specifically called it out as particularly terrible. I thought yeah. it was that uh, that Skittles game, the Dark Skies. <laughs> it kind of looks like it. I think that's the problem is it makes it, number one, it makes it look very generic. And also it kind of makes them, uh, it, it kind of makes them too white. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Well, well, Yorda in the box art doesn't even look like Yorda. No, no, no. But like, also, Eco, Eco looks like they they made him into a. I don't know. Like a. <laughs> it just a doesn't Viking look good. It just looks ugly. With a Viking hat yeah. instead of horns coming out of his ears. Yeah. Yeah, it was specifically called out by Ueda, especially since Ueda's box art, um, that was used later, is based on a famous painter. Um, Spanish painter? Spanish painter. That, okay. yeah. I forget the The imagination of the infinite or of whatever it's called? Yeah, yeah. It was a, I think it was Spanish painter. So it's it's like referencing that painting. So I'm like, it's just so emblematic of like gaming back then. Mm-hmm. Like we need to focus on that this is a boy with a sword. Oh, yeah. It happens. This is it. It happens with uh, from software games too. Um, Evergrace. Evergrace is a look up the U.S. box art and then look up the Japanese box art. The U.S. box art erases the fact that you can play half the game as uh, a girl um, because it is a two character sort of like Claire and Leon um, scenario. Mm -hmm. U.S. box art completely erases erases the the female character she has like two different names she's charlene in the u.s one and um the u.s one just shows dorius that's it because even up to the mid-aughts 
video games are for boys. And so here's our edgy edgelord marketing. This game could have used more edge in it. I agree. Okay, here I found it. I found my fun fact to bring it to bring it full circle back to the uh, the escort mission discussion. Uh, the queen is played by a very prolific Japanese voice actress, Misa Watanabe, mm-hmm. who was uh, Eva in Metal Gear Solid Three. Okay, there you go. You she was also, uh, you know, typecast uh, Shadow Queen Beryl in the original Sailor Moon. Oh, doesn't that doesn't that suck when you get typecast into being the Shadow as queen? the Shadow Queen? Yes. <laughs> As the Shadow Queen. Yeah, I was really thinking, I honestly, the reason why I looked her up originally is because her vocalizations in that fa- final pause fight made me want to double check if she had played Link at any point. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, okay, all right. Are, are we good? Final thoughts? or? I love Eco. Eco's great. Would you want yeah. a uh, Shadow of the Colossus 2014 Blue Point remake as much as i don't super care about their demon souls remake i didn't mind their shadow of the colossus remake um basically i want more people to play the game and i don't really like it if they have to go spend umpteenth amounts of money to find a retro copy so yeah bring it up yeah um, bring it up fine (laughs) yeah yeah i mean for me i'm not i i don't think things are sacred um now there's definitely (laughs) arguments to be made yeah, yeah. Gonna put that um, on your tombstone. But, yeah, things ain't sacred. Yeah, yeah. You can piss on my grave. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'll put that on the backside. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You can put that on the backside of uh, the Daydreamcast uh, card as you can piss on this podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways, what was I going to say? You made me lose it, Murph. Nothing is sacred. Piss on everything. <laughs> More people playing a game oh, is no, okay, fine. The, the remake. Okay, what I was going to say is... is Number one, yeah, it brings in new audiences. There could be an argument of it not capturing the magic of the original, but then the original exists. So I don't, I personally don't mind when there's artistic liberties uh, taken in remix. I think that's what that makes it more interesting or something. You know, it, it'll be fine. Blue Point specifically as a developer, eh? But their, I think their game would be inoffensive to me personally. Yeah, eco so, eco yeah. isn't something that's going. Eco isn't going to be something that you would cause a whole lot of issue um because there's not a whole lot to it it's a very very tailored specific streamlined sort of game there's very little to mess up if it's just a straight remake yeah yeah that said if if there's a remake or a one thousand dollar game then fine bring a remake out Mm -hmm. let that let that a thousand dollar game is might as well not exist anymore i'm looking at you kuan if the game is a thousand dollars it might as well not exist anymore just bring it out again game preservation is very important Mm -hmm. Uh, and old games are good games that is an old pavlo's catchphrase we could have put that on the card i forgot there's only the only thing i would worry about with a remake is uh kind of like what they the worry with the shadow of the colossus remake is they don't get the 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 tone of the lighting right or like the washed out aesthetic. I feel like the washed out look is very important to both the original Shadow of Colossus and this. Yeah. I think they'll make mistakes if they make it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what you were asking. Yes. Yeah. Their aesthetic is definitely not dreamlike. No. No. 
and they have that entire art department at Plume Point now. They need to flex it. So, but they're making Bloodborne PC port, right? No one, no but, one's making Bloodborne PC port. No one will ever what, make Bloodborne PC port. But that's what all the articles say. The the <sighs> weekly articles. Blue Point needs to make Bloodborne 2 Electric Boogaloo. That's what's happening, baby. Rock and roll. Anyways, I think it's time for plugs. Uh, plugs? Right. Uh, yeah. Theo, go ahead and tell us your plugs. Um, I am both on YouTube and on Medium at uh, youtube.com slash c slash casative and theomony.medium.com. From there, you can find my Twitter, my Discord, and um, you can track me down i'm all over the place you're terminally online i saw that from the try guys oh, fucking God. twitter post. i can't believe i like <laughs> i know exactly who the try guys are <laughs> i i've seen i've seen buzzfeed videos i saw the i see like i I'm, like there's there were so many people on my my tl going i have no idea who the try guys are i'm a, a cool hipster person i will say ned was my least favorite so yeah, I think sense. Ned was everybody's tracks. least favorite. Yeah. I, Anyways. <laughs> I only knew about the Try Guys from an H Bomber Guy video because they got their sperm tested. I don't. Oh, the soy thing. Yeah. Not, yeah. I don't yeah. consider myself a sheltered individual, but every I am always taken aback when my my timeline blows up and it's some like YouTuber that seems to have been fully formed out of the ether with six million subscribers, like beat his wife or something. Oh jeez. Yeah. Oh, that's the fucking boy in a band. Oh my god, we're going into YouTuber. Drama. Oh, that's, that's it's funny <laughs> though, cause like of the BuzzFeed content forum people, I watched Ladylike and not Try Guys. I just knew about Try Guys, but I was I was like watching Sophia Nygaard and like all the other all the other women from like the ladylike section. I watched BuzzFeed Unsolved. Mm. Which of the Buzzfeed. Try Guys would you trust to lead you out of the Castle of Mist? Eugene. Eugene. Hard yeah. Eugene. <laughs> yeah. Eugene. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that came fast, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead and do your plugs. Uh, yeah, we got we got other other shows here on the Twin Geeks Network. We got the Twin Geeks podcast where uh, they look at full filmographies of various directors. Right now, they're still going through Robert Altman and probably will until the end of time because that man made yep. a lot of movies. We also have uh, I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, where we talk where they talk about uh, very contemporary modern release movies. Uh, right now, they're going very indie with their content as of late. Um, I think they haven't really talked about like a big studio release uh, in a while. Um, a lot of grab bag specials. Uh, you see here the Stacks, which is kind of like their own network, a rotating uh, collection of shows, usually about film. Sometimes it's just Jack and Steven shooting the shit, some water cooler talk, all good stuff. Uh, and those are the ones that are releasing currently. Uh, we have a few others on hiatus. If you want to dig through the back archives on the TwinGeeks.com. And I'm Murph, and he's broken. Uh, whoa, whoa, what about the next game? The next game? Yeah. Did you tell me about that in the past? I. Oh my God! Are you serious? Do we have a way? I do I have a way of getting back to the past? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. Now. Yeah, it's a link to the past. <laughs> Give him oh. a hand. Give him a hand. <laughs> there you go. I'm impressed. That was good. Uh, with with uh, guest star Vaughn. Yes, from so. I'm thinking of spoiling things. Oh, it'll be a it'll be a good episode. The first Zelda episode. I know. Before, so. 
And with that, I think we're playing out. Yeah, you no, know, the music, the music's going. There's like the guitar solo part. You're gonna have to sync that up when I say that, bro. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that.